book of John, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I do hope that everybody ate a good breakfast this morning. If you did not, you were warned last week, and so I am no longer sorry. We are talking about food this morning. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. You know, there are some... There are some things in my life that I know aren't good for me, but I convince myself that they are. Specifically, I'm talking about food. You know, we live in a day and age where the new thing, and it has been new for a couple of years now, but the new thing is healthy eating. So just recently, something bad happened, guys. Two of our most venerated fast food burger chains released beef-free burgers. If that's not a sign of Jesus' second coming, I don't know what it is. But we have these, uh, this new um, push toward healthy eating. This new push toward eating better. And yet, since this new dietary push has started... I don't think that our health numbers have gone down any in America. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us a couple things. One, we know what we ought to do. We know what we ought to eat. But we're not doing it. You know, a while back, Jordan and I had Lane and Michaela over one night and, uh, I really like to bake. I do. I like to bake, and I decided that tonight would be, that night would be the night that I would bake a pound cake for the first time. Now, I'm not talking about a cheap pound cake. I'm talking about the real deal, right? A pound of everything. And I began baking this pound cake, and uh, our, our mixer has been broken for a while, and just really too lazy to find out to Walmart and buy another mixer because I think I can do it by hand. And so I'm mixing this by hand and I'm mixing it and I'm mixing it and I'm mixing it and I'm reading on these recipes. If you do this by hand, you got to actually do it. You got to mix it. And so I'm mixing my arms falling asleep. I'm mixing it with the other arm. You know, I'm just trying to mix it up and I think this is surely good enough. And so I get it together and I get it out the pan and boy, that steam comes off when you first take the pan off the cake and it just, oh, it looks so good. And I said, guys, who wants pound cake? They were all excited. So I got this pound cake, and we all took a bite out of it at the same time. And I could see the looks (laughs) in their eyes. It was that look. You know what that look is? It's that look that we're too nice to say anything. We don't want to hurt your feelings. We know what work you went into. And they said, hmm. And finally, I had to say it. I knew deep down it wasn't good. I knew deep down I'd messed up somewhere, but I didn't want to say it out loud. But I finally popped the bubble. I said, this is bad, guys. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's what went wrong. But I, you know, they weren't going to say anything mean until I said something mean first. We all deep down, deep down, we knew that the food that we were consuming was not good food. But it just took one person to point it out for everybody to say, yeah, you're right. We're not going to eat the rest of this. Nobody went back for a second slice. I tried later. I tried to 
convince myself that it was good. I thought, well, maybe this would be better if I just wait, pop it in the toaster tomorrow. That might be better. It was not. It didn't get any better. The food that I was eating was still bad food. And here we come to the book of John. What do pound cakes have to do with the book of John? Well, let me tell you what pound cakes have to do with the book of John. In the book of John, last week we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. One of the only miracles that's mentioned in all four Gospels. We discussed that Jesus' purpose in this miracle was to reveal that he indeed is the same God of the Exodus. And he is the same God of the Passover. And this great multitude were fed based on Jesus taking very little, blessing it, giving thanks and passing it on. And then something happens. Jesus sends his disciples out across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus withdraws from the crowd and goes off by himself. Well, then we have the story of Jesus walking upon the water, uh, this almost this Exodus uh, Red Sea event for the disciples, and here Jesus gets there, and when they get there, they're immediately on the other side of the lake. And then... We come to where we are today in John chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in John chapter 6, verse 22. John chapter 6, verse 22. We read this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. The word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we go to this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray today as we consider your word that you would awaken in us a hunger for you. Help us, Lord, to put away those things in our life that are causing us to love other things more than we love you. We thank you for your word, and we pray this morning that your word would do its work in your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's going on in this passage? 
So we begin good. We begin in a good way. The crowds wake up, they look around looking for Jesus, and yet they notice that there's only one boat that has left, and Jesus was not in that boat. And so they say, well, let's just go on to the other side of the sea, and we'll seek Jesus. So far, so good. But it turns when they meet with Jesus. Because when they meet with Jesus, Jesus showed that the crowds were famished, desiring more food because they were feasting on faulty foods. They were feasting on foods that perished. And today we find ourselves in the same predicament. That many of us are famished because we have been feasting on faulty foods. Foods that don't last. Food that is not good. And we, deep down, we know it is not good. But no one seems to have the courage to say so. So what are these faulty foods? Well, we have two types of faulty foods that deceive the people, the crowds that Jesus points out. In the story, they come over to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They find Jesus and they ask him in verse 25. They say, Rabbi or teacher, where did you come from? Now, that's not just a, a question. Uh, excuse me. That's not just a question of where have you been at? Uh, that's kind of like um, my sister-in-law just moved down to New Orleans. She's been in New Orleans for a little bit now. And it's interesting. She says that the question comes up many times. Where are you from? Because something in her tongue deceives her. She does not sound Cajun. She does not sound like someone who is native of New Orleans. She sounds like somebody who's native of Mississippi. And so the question becomes, where are you from? That's kind of what's going on here. They're not actually trying to see where Jesus is from. They're asking him, how did you get here? Where are you from? Uh, who are you? That's the bottom line. You just, you just multiplied uh, just basic ingredients and fed 5,000 plus now, somehow, you got to the other side of the lake without anybody knowing, where, where did you come from? Where are you from? And Jesus answers them. And Jesus exposes something. Jesus answers them in verse 26, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. A few things here. First, Jesus shows that the first faulty food that you and I can feast on and still be famished is perishable food. Perishable food. He says, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs. Now, in John's gospel, he uses that word signs uh, to refer to miracles. All the other gospels say miracles. John says signs because a sign is going to point to something. Jesus does signs in the book of Mark or in the book of John to point to his true identity. He is the Messiah. He is very God of very God. He is very man of very man. This is no ordinary person this is the God-man. And the signs point to this. But Jesus says to the crowd, you're not coming back to me because the sign. You didn't get to where the sign was pointing. You missed the sign. Instead, your bellies were full 
And so you came back for more. And Jesus tells them, you missed the bread of heaven because you feasted on just the physical bread. But here's the thing. The physical bread, no matter how much you eat, will not fix hunger. Hunger will come back. It's perishable. It's momentary. And so Jesus tells them, do not work for the food that endures or for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He tells us a few things about this perishable food that we can find ourselves seeking. The first thing about it is that it is carnal. That it is carnal food. That it is physical food often. That's the idea. That it is from man. He tells them, don't seek after food that will leave you hungry again soon. Now, what does that mean? Is Jesus telling us that we ought not be concerned about bread? Well, I'll tell you what. We wait here another 20 minutes, another 25 minutes, and we're all going to be concerned about bread, right? Is there anything wrong with that? No, that's a very human thing to do. If you are a human and you are never hungry and you never eat, you won't be human long. You'll be dead. So Jesus isn't saying that you ought not to be concerned about eating food, physical food. What Jesus is saying is that the food that we often consume is carnal. It's fleshy. It's not spiritual food. And so because it is not spiritual food, it cannot last. The night lasts and may produce fun, but morning will come. How many of us, how many of us have sought after something and once we obtained it, we found that it could not fill the void that we had in our heart? And this is the human experience. The author of Ecclesiastes says, You, O Lord, made man upright, but he has sought after many devices. And you and I, we seek after many devices, many different foods that we can, be, uh, we can, we can uh, convince ourselves that this is it. This will make me happy. That job will make me happy. This uh, parenthood will make me happy. That spouse will make me happy. That position will make me happy. And yet, happiness does not last. That as good as jobs, and as good as families, and as good as children, as good as church, as good as all these things are, they are not meant to satisfy you eternally. They cannot. And so we find ourselves hungry again. Hungry for a new experience. Hungry for something else. We continue seeking and we are not filled. And not only that, but Jesus shows us something here about the food that is perishable. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. And how often does perishable food that you and I seek, how often is it so hard to obtain? How often do we work and work and work and strive and sweat? And once we obtain it, we say, this is it? This is it? If we're honest with ourselves, we say, this is it. But often we say, no, this is exactly what I wanted. And then we can't explain why we're still hungry. We can't explain why something is still missing. Well, the reason why something is missing in your life and often in my life is that the only thing that can cause you and I to rest from our labor is the bread of heaven that does not perish. 
And when you and I feast at the Lord's table, we cannot long feast at the table of the Lord or the, of, the, of the world and be satisfied. When we have eaten the bread from heaven, we can't then go out and eat the bread of the world and be full. It cannot happen. So the question for us is, what bread are we eating? What food are we consuming? If we are consuming perishable food, if we've fallen back into bad habits and we feel hungry, can we admit it? Can we say it is true? Can we say that the pound cake does not taste good? And that it does not satisfy? If we cannot say that, then we will, we will keep on eating perishable food. And we will keep on being hungry. But Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes. But instead, work for the food that endures to eternal life. For on him, or which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. <clears throat> this leads, this leads the people to ask a good question. They hear that the Son of Man uh, will give them food that endures to eternal life. And God the Father has set his seal on this Son of Man. And so God approves of this ministry. God has uh, worked his ministry through this Son of Man. This is the work of God. And so they ask him, if this is indeed the word of, work of God, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What do we have to do to receive this eternal food? What do we have to do to be doing the work of God? Well, notice what Jesus says. It's almost a play on words. Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him he sent. That's the work of God. So in order to do the work of God, you and I must believe in the one who he has sent. But also notice what Jesus is saying. That's not only the work of God, but that's also what God does, God helps us to believe. God causes us to believe. God takes the blinders off our eyes, pops the bubble, and shows us that Jesus is the one who satisfies. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The opposite of perishable food, the opposite of carnal food, is the spiritual, eternal food. And that must only come from the one who has conquered death and Hades, who has paid for our sins upon the cross, who was resurrected by the Father, who now sits at God's right hand and who will come again physically to redeem his creation. That is the one who gives eternal life. And that is the one who eternally satisfies. Perishable food, perishable food cannot do it. But not only can perishable, perishable food not do it, but neither can past foods. We continue on. <clears throat> they say in verse 30, Jesus has just said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they respond to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Now notice that. They are demanding a sign, a picture that Jesus is who he says he is. Yet, what has just happened in the same chapter? Has Jesus not brought bread from heaven? Has Jesus not performed a sign on the Passover? Has Jesus not shown that he is greater than Moses? That he is the Messiah? Of course he has. But here's the deal. Often when you and I make deals with God, God, if you do this, I'll believe. We're so much like Gideon 
We say, Lord, if this fleece is covered in dew in the morning, then I'll believe in you. We wake up the next day and we say, well, Lord, this might have been a coincidence. This anything could have happened. I tell you what, Lord, if I wake up tomorrow and this fleece is dry and everything else is wet, then I'll believe in you. We're always adding more on and more on and more on. It's the deception of our hearts. We are sinful and it's hard for us to believe. This is why the work of God must be God helping us believe. So what happens? They say, what sign do you do that we may believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. You see, they were trusting in past foods. These people, uh, mainly Jewish, when Jesus has said, you must believe on the one whom he has sent, they respond, what signs have you done? Because I know that, that Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. Our fathers had bread in the wilderness, and it was given to them by Moses. And so can you be like Moses? You see, these people, this group of people were trusting in an experience that their forefathers experienced, not something they had experienced. Past food, not looking forward to what God is going to do, but just waiting around and showing the experiences they've had in the past. They were trusting in somebody else's experience. This is past food. It's not, it's not personal, right? And they even quote scripture to the one who inspired it. They said he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But what they forget is that Deuteronomy 8, Moses told the people, you must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not just experiences. Not just things that have happened in the past, but right now, are you trusting in the words coming from the mouth of God? Are you trusting in the word coming from the seat of God? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Jesus tells them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Notice how this whole exchange began. The whole exchange began with the people asking Jesus, where do you come from? And Jesus is answering their question. The father sent me. I've come down from heaven and I am here now. Jesus tells them, this is indeed the bread from heaven. It is not perishable, perishable food. It is not past food. We're not trusting in traditions. We're not trusting in what God has done at our church 20 years ago. Those things are great. And we are thankful that God has been faithful to us. And we must not forget that. But God has given us a future. And if we are just trusting in what God has done in the life of our parents, the life of our grandparents, the life of our aunt and uncle, and we're not personally trusting in what Jesus is doing now, personally recognizing the Messiah, the bread from heaven now, feasting on the bread of heaven now, then we are hungry and will ever be. Past foods cannot fill. Past experiences cannot fill. But before we leave this section, notice that Jesus does not leave them hungry. Jesus' concern for you and I is not just that we would hunger. 
I think hunger is good. Hunger pushes us to eat. Hunger is a natural desire that shows us we have to have food. Starving is not good. Jesus does not desire that his people would starve. Instead, he wants them to hunger after what will fill them. So what fills the believer? What can fill you today? What fills me today? Well, Jesus tells us it's the bread from heaven. It's the perfect food. It is given by God and it is and it gives life. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, my father gives the true bread from heaven. It comes from God solely from God. Your hungering can only be filled with that that comes from God. Not what comes from this world, not that you can make yourself. It can only come from God. And yet he gives it. And God is not stingy with the bread of heaven. God does not hoard the bread of heaven. No, he gives Jesus in abundance. He gives his spirit in abundance. To all who would call upon the name of Jesus, you might be saved. No. You could probably be saved. No. You will be saved. To all who come to me who are hungering and thirsty, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. To all who come. But the question is, will you come? God has given, God has provided for you food that will last and will sustain. And yet, we know the right thing. But we aren't personally doing the right thing. We aren't feasting on his word. We aren't studying his word. We aren't loving him. Instead, we have the bread of heaven and we are settling for crumbs. Yet Jesus has given us the bread of heaven. And not only that, it came down from heaven. Not that we had to go up and get it. God didn't make it hard for us to feast. All he did was invite us. Isaiah 55, one of the greatest passages in Scripture, echoed again at the end of Revelation. He who is hungry, come, buy bread without money. You don't have to have money. Come, take it. It's free. The free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal satisfaction found in Christ alone. Do not starve. Food is readily available. Perfect food. But not only that, this food gives life. This food gives life. Jesus says later on in the book of John, he tells his disciples, he says, I came that you may have life and to have it in abundance. What do we think the good life is? I think the older you get, your, your perception of the good life changes. Your perception of what it means to have the good life changes a little bit. I, I imagine that when you're younger, when you're fresh out of school, the good life is having all the resources you can, having no needs. But the older that you get, you, your perception of the good life changes just a little bit. And you say, well, this is the good life. But let me tell you something. Friends and family... Having friends and family. Those things are good. But that's not the good life. Many people have friends and family in abundance. 
and are blessed among men on this earth. And those are blessings. We are told they are blessings. But if that is all you have, that is not enough for heaven. That is not the good life. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it in abundance. What is abundant life? Abundant life is knowing Jesus. Christianity is not just about getting out of hell. It's about knowing the one who created you. Knowing him. Enjoying him. That is the good life. And that begins on this earth and is carried forth into eternity. Knowing God. Knowing Christ. Knowing your Savior. That is the good life. And that is promised to every man, woman, and child who will call upon the name of Jesus and seek his face. The question for us is what are we eating? No, I know. Maybe you've scribbled a little note in your bulletin and you've passed it to the person beside you. What are we eating for lunch? That's not what I'm talking about. My question for you is what are you feasting on weekly? What are you eating weekly? If you are a child of God and you have feasted on the bread of life, then stop feasting at the table of the world. It won't satisfy. It's bad. Be brave enough to tell yourself that this does not satisfy and I need feast upon the word. What does this mean for us tomorrow morning? What it means tomorrow morning is that before you do anything, before you accomplish tomorrow, you must have the Spirit of God. You must dwell in the Word of God. Given us 66 beautiful books that teach us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. If we had no Christian books in the entire world and all we had was the Bible, it would be more than enough. God has given us everything for life and godliness. And yet, most of our Bibles are used once a week when we come to church. May it never be. Wake up tomorrow. Open the Word. Feast on the Word. Feast on the breakfast of God. He has provided it for you. Feast upon the Word. Feast on it Monday. And then when you get hungry Tuesday morning, open the Word and feast again. Feast again on Wednesday, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then come back Sunday, next Sunday, and let's eat a community feast. What does it mean to be a believer? It means loving God so much that you can't get enough of Him. You must be in His Word. You must be with His people. Come, feast. The Savior calls, come and dine. This morning, will you come and feast upon the Word of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hunger for your Word, to thirst for righteousness. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.